0: Welcome to Aetherius
1: Radio Live, the hour of truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaine.
0: Welcome to Body, Mind, Spirit Radio. Today is April 15, 2014, and you are listening to Aetherius Radio Live, which comes to you every third Tuesday at 1 p.m. Chrissy is unable to be on the show today, but I would love to welcome host Richard Lawrence and his guest Mark Bennett from the Aetherius Society.
1: Thank you, Courtney. Thank you very much. And welcome back, Mark. Hi, Richard. Thank you. Great to be here. Yes, uh, Mark's kindly agreed to step in and conduct really the interview this time uh, in Chris's absence. She couldn't be here. And uh, we are going to talk about one of the greatest events as far as the Aetherius Society, really the seminal event, which triggered the, the whole of the, the Aetherius Society uh, range of teachings and missions and everything that stemmed from uh, the, the contacts of Dr. George King, and that was known as the command. So I'm going to hand over to to Mark. We're we're celebrating the 60th anniversary of this on May the 8th of this year, and I'll leave it with you, Mark, to take it from there. Thank you, Richard. Well... Uh, The command, it sounds like a a very strange name uh, for any kind of a happening. It doesn't really tell us a great deal about what actually did take place 60 years ago. So perhaps you could elaborate on on what happened and why it should be given that name. Certainly. Um, On May the 8th, 1954, Dr. King was not many miles from where we're speaking now in in London, in a place called Maida Vale in northwest London, uh, he lived alone, he had a small bed sit there, and he had, as I think we've discussed in previous programs, been practicing advanced forms of yoga very intensively for 10 years. And that's a key fact, which I think we'll return to. But he was then contacted by uh, a cosmic master, one whom we have quoted from several times on this program, and after whom were actually named the Master Etherius. And And when you say, uh, may I interrupt you there for a moment, Richard, when you say cosmic master, what does that mean? Cosmic master, of course, uh, is an interplanetary being, and uh, listeners of Aetherius Radio Live will know that we're believers in advanced masters, spiritual beings from other worlds on on higher planes, higher dimensions than we are, and the master Aetherius actually came or comes from the planet Venus. Right, so if, if NASA were to spend, send a uh, spacecraft to Venus tomorrow, would they find the Master of Probably not, no, knowing NASA. And I've said something else is that even if they did, they certainly probably wouldn't tell anybody.
0: <laughs> but...
1: Um, that, I suppose the accurate answer to that very interesting question is that, would be in, that, the, that it would be entirely up to the Master of Theorists, whether they've discovered him or not. Right, right. Um, and not only even up to the Master of Theorists, but up to the powers of intervention that he was allowed. Because I think anyone who looks at the world and who's a believer in UFOs must have come to the conclusion... That they are limited in the amount they are allowed to intervene i mean either they don't wish to really intervene beyond a certain point or they're not allowed to i think that would be the conclusion people would come to and in the Ethereum society we believe it's because of karma and that they i think we again we've discussed this in the past but they are not allowed to come here openly and sort all our problems out but to get to the nub of your question, though, of course, on Venus, as on the other planets in this solar system, the vibratory rate is higher, is quicker and higher. And therefore, much like a non-clairvoyant person can't see the deceased, the so-called dead, they're not really dead. So in the same way, uh, it wouldn't be possible to see beings on other planets either, unless they chose and were permitted to materialize in some way, and could therefore be identified by a NASA probe. Right, so if, if they exist on a higher frequency of vibration, then how were they able to communicate with someone on this frequency of vibration on Earth in 1954? Well, of course, unlike us, they aren't limited Uh, The the only limitation upon them, as I mentioned, is the divine law, the law of karma, that they aren't allowed to intervene beyond a certain point because of us. If we changed, and we really changed, they would be able to, but they certainly have the capability to, to operate on any frequency they choose pretty much. So they can easily operate and do operate at times on, on a physical frequency. And there are many have seen flying saucers, so-called, UFOs, so-called, uh, Vimana spacecraft, and so on, on the physical level. And there have indeed been landings and selected contacts on the physical level as well. Such as this one that you were, were describing before yeah, so I rudely interrupted you. That's quite all right. Please feel free to interrupt. Um, uh, because I think you know, you're representing, It was very helpful to me, because you're representing what a lot of listeners might be thinking, and that's, that's very good. But Dr. King um, w- was in his uh, bedsit there in Maida Vale, as I was mentioning, on May the 8th, 1954, it was a Saturday morning, and then he received this contact, and I think it's important... Uh, to note the caliber of Dr. King in in many ways. It it, it answers many questions. But, of course, one thing is that being highly trained in yoga and uh, extremely developed at the psychic level beyond what you might call the average psychic or mediumistic level already by 1954, he he couldn't be readily um, deceived. He couldn't be misled. He wasn't prone to any form of hallucination, uncontrolled imagination. And so he heard, and in this case, an audible voice. He physically heard the voice. And the words that were spoken by the master theorist on that occasion were these. Prepare yourself. You are to become the voice of interplanetary parliament. And that is what is now known as the command. And how did he react to that? Was he surprised? Um, He was... Well, he he was um, staggered. It wasn't what he expected. It wasn't what he was preparing for, he felt, at that time. He was in a healing circle, um, and it was more than even just a healing circle. It was a mediumistic circle with a small selected group of people. And he was indeed getting um, messages, communications spoken through him, Uh, in certain cases, by very, very elevated uh, communicators. He had had, for example, a message only just over a month earlier, on April the 3rd, from a mystic from Rishikesh, which had been uh, delivered to this small circle of five other people in a flat in London. And this mystic from Rishikesh, somebody from this world, as far as we know, spoke these words, concentrate, meditate, pray, control your mind and be ready. Those beings who have watched us from outer space for many years have discovered that it is up to us, who have residence in this world, to take the initiative. Possibly because of that, that was, if you like, a little foreboding of, uh, of what might come, but I don't think he expected the command, I know he didn't. Um, Of course, flying saucers was was in the news in the 1950s from time to time, but in an extremely derogatory and very sarcastic way. And, of course, governments were lying about them all the time in those days, including the British government, which has been uh, fully proven now. Well, on the 5th of May, on the Wednesday, was that three days before the command, he did go to a lecture at the Caxton Hall which was given by... Caxton Hall is a big hall in London, which was given by a man called Desmond Leslie, who's the co-author of a very famous classic, yes. Uh, Those in, in the UFO movement would know this book, or know of it. It's called Flying Saucers Have Landed. And Desmond Leslie himself was a very versed theosophist. So... He, he, he knew a little bit from that, and he'd sort of been prepared by this um, communication on April the 3rd as well. But that aside, he, he hadn't followed flying saucers, UFOs at all. It wasn't his game plan at that point at all. May I just this? did he ever talk to you about what he thought of that lecture by Desmond Leslie? He didn't. He did talk to me occasionally about theosophy in general, but not that particular lecture or Desmond Les- <laughs> Leslie. So we, we, right don't know, we don't know what he thought about that lecture then? That no, time. I th- well, we know, of course, later on, that he did accept the early contacts of George Adamski, that we do know. Right. Uh, the very initial contacts and the early photographs, and even which, had a model built of one of them. Which Desmond Leslie was endorsing. Which Yes, Desmond Leslie was the co-author with George Adamski. And George Adamsky too, was something of a metaphysician, but I, I don't think I, I, to the level of a Desmond Leslie. And then George Adamsky, in some people's opinions, went off the rails a little while later a bit. Right. Um, I'm not an expert on him, but uh, Dodd King was very, very clear that he endorsed the very early contact. He didn't comment one way or the other on the, the area Adamsky went into later. Right so yes so you know to answer your question it was very traumatic for him indeed and he wasn't really helped frankly by the people around him um, it was i see this as one of those absolute pivotal occurrences which some people who have spiritual missions and and he was uh the most exceptional but there are one or two other examples have have had a a sort of a pivotal experience which has triggered their mission. I mean, the one that comes to mind is St. Paul, obviously, on the road to Damascus, had that experience, um, heard Jesus' voice, again, an audible voice, and completely changed his course as a result of it. Um, We know that the great yogi, Swami Vivekananda was touched by Ramakrishna, and this triggered a tremendous change within within him. It's a little different, but it was a pivotal moment. This command completely changed the course that Dr. King was on. I think one of the big lessons of it, though, is that he was willing, unquestioningly, to change his course. It wasn't a question of, what do I want to do? It is, what does this mean? What is required of me? And And over the course... course, Sorry. No, please. What what course do you think that he would have theoretically continued down had this event not taken place? Well, I I do know from things that he said that his plan was to uh, go into the healing field. His plan was not to go into the public eye, but more to be in the background. Uh, getting knowledge and information and making it available to people, but at some distance. Mm -hmm. Uh, He hasn't specified what knowledge and information. I would take it it would be yoga-related because he was a very, very advanced yogi by then. And that, I think, is a key point, as I said earlier, because that answers the question, why was he chosen? It's one of the main answers anyway. Uh, I, I simply don't know of anybody else at all in 1954 or even any time of any time as a matter of fact but certainly then who had been practicing intensive advanced yoga including kundalini yoga and so on for 10 years for eight hours a day and who was a medium and who had experienced levitation and astral projection and and many other things dematerialization and so on Uh, he was absolutely equipped and ready and qualified although he didn't feel it but in my opinion, he definitely was for that task. And how, how, does, how exactly does practicing yoga to that degree of intensity, how, how did that prepare him? Well, what it brings to you, and I think this is where he was different, and you can see it actually in some of the counts or the minutes of the group that he was in and his reaction even to guides who spoke through other mediums is that he had a very different approach than the psychic and spiritualist movement. Those were the big ones in those days, especially in England, probably in America too, uh, of the day. Um, It was an approach that yoga brings of discipline, of control, of logical understanding, not just sort of leaping in, and and as it were, and yes, having experiences, but not quite knowing why or being able to switch them on and switch them off. Uh, He had a very different approach indeed. Um, Yoga, of course, real yoga, and I must say here that what people call yoga now is very often just a series of physical exercises to keep fit by or or, or to lose weight or to be healthy. Uh, That's all fine, but that's not the real advanced philosophy and practice of yoga. This is strict uh, discipline. It involves raising the internal forces. It definitely involves awakening your inner powers. I've mentioned some of them already. Um, Not for their own sake, but this must happen in order to control them and to move into the deepest states of meditation, which he had done, started to do well before 1954. And so after this, um, hearing this uh, one sentence initially, uh, mm-hmm. which which we call a command, uh, what happened after that? Well, after that, he, he tried to get um, corroboration. He tried to get, because he'd never heard of interplanetary parliament. He knew it had happened. He knew it wasn't a figment of his imagination. It was an audible, physical voice. Uh, he knew his, uh, he described it as being, although he, he didn't sort of make a conscious decision, I, I'm not using his exact words here, but his soul had chosen uh, this path, as it were, of, of responding to the command. He knew what he had to do, but he didn't know what it meant. And he tried to seek from other people their experience and their knowledge, and answer came there none. He even tried, and on one occasion did seek the advice of a guide, Um, of another medium, and that wasn't too helpful, other than telling him to to meditate himself, which he did. Eight days after the command, though, he had an extremely helpful encounter. And this really did, this was an absolute transformative experience for him. Uh, This would be uh, on Sunday, May the 16th. And on that occasion, a great yogi, a swami, visited him, someone who was physically alive, resident in India, um, walked through the door of his bedsit, uh, physically through, uh, he says, sat on a chair and gave him some very helpful advice, um, which concluded with, with with the words, pray, be still, meditate, and open the doors of your heart and mind to the precious waters of truth. And indeed he did. Uh, really start to meditate deeply upon this he was also being encouraged and guided to 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 perform certain practices so that he could be the channel direct channel for these advanced beings and this is uh this is something which you know we have to really think about it's one thing even to be a medium for an advanced mystic it's another thing entirely to be a medium for a cosmic master so when you say be the channel, uh, in in what way uh, was he the channel? How did ha, it, it, on a technical basis, how did they communicate through him? Um, what happened uh, when it, when it eventually started? And, and it, it, it just just to um, conclude, he did. I should mention here that he did have one guide, particular guide, if you can call him a guide, because he's very advanced, by the name of the Master Chang Fu. And on the following Sunday, after the contact I just mentioned with the Swami, um, after a meditation lasting three hours, he received a a message from the Master Chang Fu, including the following words, this circle that is being brought into being, and he's talking now about the circle that, 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 that would bring to which these communications would be given this circle that is being brought into being must concentrate upon forming a link of communication with our friends from venus and indeed other planets in preparation for other things this does not mean to say that the spirit world has failed these people as far as you are concerned are people that you might term come from the spirit world in as much as they are more advanced in science and philosophy than people who inhabit the Earth at the present time, except one or two, of course. So this was, this was a bit of helpful, very helpful information. And the Master Chang Fu also gave him some uh, advice on the techniques he would need to use in order to raise the Kundalini, the inner power, sufficiently to be a, a medium for these masters. So uh, the Master Chang Fu referred um, to the Cosmic Masters as... Our friends, I think he mm-hmm. said. He did. Um, how did uh, Dr. King talk about the cosmic masters? Did he talk about them as friends uh, and brothers, or as great gods, uh, alien to this world? Well, it's the it's it's the the great gods that he would focus on, certainly uh, in general. I think he, you know, his conversation could vary. Colloquially, depending who he was talking to, because he himself, uh, especially later on, uh, realised, started to realise his own uh, status, which perhaps we'll get on to later. But he always had the Im- immense respect for them. He deferred to them completely. Their word was sacrosanct, as far as he was concerned. Um, interestingly enough, by the way, I should mention that the the, the master theorist's name. Uh, or pseudonym because it's not his real name wasn't given to him it was actually selected with the permission of the master ethereus by the master chang fu it was the master chang fu a tibetan adept who gave the name ethereus to be used for him and and why was that do you know well um i i th- don't know why he was chosen to do that. Uh, I couldn't tell you the exact reasons. Uh, certainly, it was um, the Master Ethereus was very happy for the Master Chang Fu to, to select a name, and went along with it. I don't know the inner machinations between the Master Ethereus and Master Chang Fu as to how that came about. And do, do we know why? why the Master Chang-Fu picked that name. Ah, why he picked that name? Well, all I know is is what the name means, which is one who travels through the ethers. Uh, It's also very interesting, and we found this out much later, that the Master always stated that this name Etherius was Greek-derived. And it doesn't sound Greek-derived because it sounds like a Latin ending, I-U-S. Uh, but actually years later when i was writing the book contacts with the gods from space i discovered that in fact of course and anyone who knows their hesiod will know this there was indeed a great a greek god by the name of ether and he was the god the celestial god uh, a-e-t-h-e-r-i-o-s so The master was our master, Dr. George King, I call him our master. Uh, He was absolutely correct when he described it as being Greek-derived. So do you believe that Hesiod was describing the same intelligence as Uh, the master ethereus? I think it's possible. I don't know. I wouldn't want to. I mean, it's never been confirmed to me one way or the other. But it's certainly a poss- strong possibility. Of course, with the Greeks, one has to always remember that they've got mythologized and humanized and, and debased, really, through the legends and through many, you know, the myths and so on, and we're left with very little idea of what they were talking about. But in origin, I think it's highly possible. I, I, I think that uh, the Master Theorists has certainly been uh, watching our world and involved in our world for well before the Greeks arrived, the Greeks that we know of so so these these cosmic masters then are essentially immortal if they can watch our world for millennia we're all yes we 're all immortal as a matter of fact, um, but uh, those of us on earth have to die and have to reincarnate and and come back as something we 've discussed uh, before on ethereis Radio live but certainly they they live uh, for thousands of years in the same body and they can rejuvenate their bodies and regard our whole system of rebirth and procreation and so on as an extremely backward and limiting process and um, could you could you tell me, getting back to the command itself,
0: mm. could you
1: tell me please uh, what kind of support Dr. King got with this you know, obviously very controversial message. Mm. It's with pleasure. I mean, I've studied the minutes. I can only go by... And he has made some, a few comments to me about the, the people who were around him in the early days. And I, I would say very disappointing. This is my term for it, not his. Um, they, they didn't really rally to the cause. They didn't seem to see the significance of it. Uh, they didn't all stay by his side and gradually others came along, and he, he, when the Aetherius Society started to be founded, which was a year later, and then officially in 1956, um, a whole new and larger group started to follow him, but the original circle that he was in, they didn't understand it, they didn't embrace it from what i can see they weren't really of great help to him i i i I think he's been quite clear about that nobody was really able to throw much light on it he had to rely on his own meditations when you say that they didn't appreciate the significance of it could you elaborate on what the significance was well, I, th- I think it's, you know, it's one thing to be doing wonderful healing work. And they were doing fantastic healing work, and they were doing a lot of color healing experimentation. And their aim, uh, in cooperation with beings on other realms, was to find a cure for cancer through using healing and so on. So it was very important work indeed, but it can't be, even that can't be compared to the significance of being primary terrestrial mental channel, as he became known, the main source of communication from beings from other worlds who can't, don't only help us with healing, uh, but also help us with the whole karmic balance of the world. Uh, and, well, we've discussed many of the ways they help us. All the things that followed on, um, you know, you know the, the, fact, the salvation of the planet, virtually. Uh, and this, of course, is the, the subject of your book, co-authored with Dr. King, Contacts with the Gods from Space. Um, this is this it is a book is. I, I read many years ago, and it, it certainly changed my life. And I think it's changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. It's an absolutely remarkable book. Whether you believe it or not, you will never read anything quite like it. Uh, That'd be my my summation of it, really. And I'm thrilled that it's come out uh, as a second edition now, updated and revised, but still keeping its essential essence uh, of this key message uh, from the cosmic masters, the gods from space. So, Richard, perhaps just before the break, you could share with us how this book came into being. Well, in the summer of 1995, I I was staying with Dr. King uh, at his home in Santa Barbara, California, a very modest bungalow that he lived in there, and I had written a couple of books. One was called Unlock Your Psychic Powers, and one was called Journey into Supermind, and they had done well. In fact, the the publisher of those books, uh, Souvenir Press, had declared um, Unlock Your Psychic Powers to be an international best-selling book by then is being published in america and so on and dr king was encouraging to me but at the same time this book unlock your psychic powers and journey into supermind were very very uh, minor books by comparison with the works of dr king which are on a far higher and much more significant level books like the nine freedoms the twelve blessings you couldn't possibly compare with the type of books that i'd been written which may be more popular but much less important and then suddenly I was sitting there in his home, and he turned round to me, out of the blue, and he said this. He said, you seem very prolific. Why don't you write a book with me? And I was stunned, because I can't think, couldn't really think of a greater honor than writing a book with Dr. George King. Um, it, it turned out to be the last book that was actually published in his lifetime, of his. It's his book. It isn't mine. It was his idea. Um, I was honored to write it. We uh, worked, not just myself, but some other directors, on a synopsis, which had his approval. Um, I went to work on it, and um, it came out just over a year before he he passed on. It was in his hands. Much of the writing in it is by him. A lot of extracts were taken of his own uh, writing and, and transcripts of his own lectures. Some of it's by me. But the whole concept is his. And the idea being to explain to someone who's never heard of him at all, or the society at all, what, who is he? What was his mission? And that's what I hope the book does. And and this book is being officially launched uh, with two events, uh, one in Sheffield, uh, England, on Saturday the 10th of May at 2 p.m., and one in London at our beautiful temple here on Tuesday the 3rd of June at 7 p.m., where Richard is going to be talking about this book and his experiences with Dr. King. And I'm certainly very much looking forward to it, and I would really recommend everyone who is able to attend to come along to that. Thank you very much, Mark. And did you mention we have to go for a break now? Yes, I think it's coming up to that time, isn't it? It's 6.29 So over to you, Courtney, if you're there.
0: Thank you, guys. You're listening to Ethereus Radio Live with host Richard Lawrence and guest Mark Bennett. I would love to mention, just like Mark just talked about, that Richard is launching the second edition of Contacts with the Gods from Space, which is co-authored by both him and Dr. George King. There will be two special events helping to celebrate this launch. Both will be held in England. One will be held in Sheffield, England on Saturday, May 10th at 2 p.m. The other will be held at the Aetherius Temple in London, England on Tuesday, June 3rd at 7 p.m. Please visit Aetherius.org for more details, including events in the U.S., Europe, and other parts of the world. You can connect to Richard by visiting his webpage at www.richardlawrence.co. UK, and back to you, gentlemen.
1: Thank you, Courtney. Hi, Richard. Um, I'd just like to to ask you before we get on to anything else, a little bit more about uh, your memories and experience of working with Dr. King. Uh, Mm. Obviously. we believe you met him I did not we believe that he was a very special person but could you tell me what it was like actually being in his company could you feel um, you know that you were in the company of a great master or was it more like being in the company of an ordinary person and you had to sort of almost like remind yourself of who you were actually dealing with no, it, it, you were clearly in the presence of a great master. But I was very lucky because when I first met him, I was quite nervous. I already regarded him as my master, my teacher. I didn't know him. There was quite an age difference between him and me. And I, I really was sort of all fingers and thumbs. And uh, not a, and he could be, apart an from anything else, an extremely witty Uh, man he had a very infectious sense of humor he could if he chose put you at ease uh but he the thing about him was i think mark that that did was clear to anybody who was with him was a couple of things one is he was on call 24 hours a day he didn't have time off per se i mean he might have a few relaxing moments and, and and go for a meal and this and that but he was always on call Um, And he didn't particularly like the whole idea of time off. It seemed alien to him, really, is is how I'd put it. Um, That was one thing. And the other thing is that he was completely, utterly committed to his task, and unflinchingly, I think, the same sort of approach that he shown to his yoga practices i assume in 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 the 40s and 50s of total commitment because let's bear in mind although he was doing eight hours a day on average he also had to pay his bills and he did have to work often as a driver or in different jobs. Uh, they were just a means to an end, as far as he was concerned, but it, was, it wasn't as if he, had, you know, if he had his own money and could just sit around doing yoga. He had an extremely demanding time, so he, he gave it his all. I don't think anyone could dispute that. And likewise, as soon as the Ethereum Society was found, founded, I'm sure he did the same, and certainly uh, being with him, he was completely and totally unflinchingly committed to the task at hand those are a couple of things i mean obviously you know i could certainly say there were there were incidents uh, of healing there were incidents uh, of, of the true master which were uh, you know unarguable where he showed his true caliber um often he was when he wasn't working it he wanted to to relax if he could and um that wasn't easy for someone who's on call all the time, and you tried to help, so you tried not to be too awed by him. Uh, one key for me was to try and, and help him, rather than get whatever I could get out of him, as it were. I just tried to, as others did too, to help him as best as I could. Did, did you feel, uh, after having spent, say, several hours with him, did you feel very inspired afterwards? Did you feel different after being with him? See, I, I was on in touch with him for, for 20 years um, every day, pretty much on average every day, either on the phone or in his presence. And for, when, you, when you live like that for 20 years, I suppose, you... Um, you, you don't sort of compare the difference. You are aware of the difference of being in his physical presence and not being. But I, I was so sort of programmed, I was on call for him actually 24 hours a day. I'm not comparing it for a moment to his situation throughout, but throughout that period. So I was, got very used to him. But, I mean, the answer is definitely yes, you could feel very inspired. You, you could certainly feel the power. He didn't throw the power around, though. He, he controlled it. Um, and he would be different. I mean, if he if he was a, a performing, for example, uh, an initiation or receiving a transmission, I've been in the room with him on a couple of occasions when he's received uh, a mental transmission, a telepathic transmission. On one occasion, he uh, amazed me by actually introducing me to the person who was communicating with him. I shouldn't say person, the master who was communicating with him. I remember him saying, I was standing by as his attendant, as it were, and generally he'd be on his own on these occasions, but sometimes he'd have an attendant. On this occasion it was me, and he he introduced me to this communicator and said, uh, this is my secretary, Richard Lawrence, he's over from London, and so on. And I immediately felt a massive a burst of energy physical it wasn't a, a vague thing uh, absolutely undeniable filling my being as though that being was returning the greeting to me wow well what what uh, what can one say to that that must have been absolutely amazing that that, no, that really was your that wasn't your sort of daily, that, that was no. very much an exceptional thing, wasn't it? Because it was, from what I was. gather, a lot, lot of your dealings with Dr. King were about, you know, essentially matters of practical, uh, you know, the daily runnings of the ethereal society and dealing with problems and sorting things out. Is, is that correct? That's very correct. And I was very often one of the people who, who had to help him with the various problems that arose, as problems do in running any organization, especially one which is international, and by and large, voluntary, too. We're relying on voluntary help, wonderful help, but still voluntary a lot of it, Um, not like a business. Um, So, in fact, I I was in that position, and I I wouldn't want to over-glamorize it and give the impression either that it was all fun and games or all the great spiritual experiences you might read about in some Indian writings, for example, because It was extremely difficult at times for those people who were working closely around Dr. King. He was very demanding. uh, He was very compassionate. But after all, he'd been exceptionally and was exceptionally demanding upon himself. I think we were just getting a mild reflection of what he would have expected from himself. And that's fair enough. But it wasn't easy, and um, it could, he was strict. And he, of course, had an amazing mind, as you would expect—a highly intelligent, very logical man of great power, power of thought, and power of word. So uh, it was—I personally—it was difficult, often at times. But I found that very inspiring myself, because it was wonderful to come into contact with someone who was has such a fantastic mind. And in uh, Contacts with the Gods from Space, in the second edition, uh, you reveal, I believe, uh, a little bit more about um, who uh, George King really was. Could I do. Could you expand I, on that a bit, please? Yes. While he was alive, and as I mentioned, this book was published about a year before he passed on, physically passed on, um, he wasn't permitted in public at least, in general at least, to reveal exactly who he was or, or what he was. Um, but I believe, and in the Ethereum Society we, we are full believers, it, that he was a cosmic avatar. And I, I think it's worth explaining to perhaps new listeners particularly what a cosmic avatar is. You know, throughout the centuries there have been so-called avatars or you might say divine incarnations just just to name a few of them shri krishna uh was of course uh, an avatar and is believed by hindus his birth was brought about by the god vishnu uh the lord buddha um, some say his birth was miraculous that was his mother being queen maya the 8th century sage shri shankacharya his birth is said to have been arranged by the god Shiva and in the 19th century the holy saint Sri Ramakrishna uh, his birth was also regarded as miraculous a dream uh, came to his father in which Vishnu appeared to him and revealed that he would be born as his son so you have this whole history in the east of avatars and in the west you have many accounts too of unusual birth the bible tells of an angel of the Lord appearing to the mother of Samson to prepare her for the Samson's birth. You have that tradition also in ancient Greek with uh, Hercules or Heracles uh, is the progeny, they say, of Zeus and a mortal woman. Alcmene. Um, and of course, as I said earlier, the Greek legends get all mixed up with humanizing and so on, but perhaps they too believed in divine incarnations and virgin births. And then you come to the most famous of them all, of course, Jesus Christ, we call the Master Jesus, um, who was, of course, and he is widely believed to have been... Uh, not only the son of god but if you believe in the trinity i don't fully accept the trinity but if you do uh you know a a linked part of the divine and a virgin birth again so this is an ancient tradition this is a very wide thing and i'm sure there are many other traditions where there are so-called divine beings coming down to earth through the womb of a woman now what The Aetherius Society has done, and from the very earliest communications that Dr. King received after the command, it was made clear that several of these so-called divine incarnations were in fact the birth of cosmic beings, beings from other planets, and Master Jesus being one of these, through the womb of an earth woman, so that they could be in a karmic position to help and serve humanity. I mentioned the problem earlier in the broadcast of interfering with people, the free will of the earth, of convening the karmic law, uh, and this is why beings from other worlds can't help us beyond a certain point, a certain line. But by being born as avatars, as cosmic avatars, through the womb of woman, in certain cases, they've been able to help transform, actually, the world. Some of them haven't even been so famous as the ones I've mentioned. They've had different kinds of missions. Well, that's a long preamble, but that is the calibre I believe of Dr. George King. So, so in a nutshell, you're saying that um, Dr. George King was a divine being from another planet. I am. I do believe that, and in the Ethereum Society we believe that, and we couldn't say it while he was alive. He wasn't permitted to say it in public at least while he was alive, but I thought, well, the second edition is here, can be said now, and so I'm conclu- I've concluded with a, a forward and an afterwards, and I've included that uh, at the very end of the afterward. So as uh, a master of that kind of caliber, then he he was obviously much more than um, just, if just is the right word, more than just a channel for the wisdom of other beings. So could mm-hmm. you perhaps shed some light on the teachings that he gave in his own right? I'd love to because actually Mark, I think as an avid listener, as I know you are to Aetherius Radio Live, um, we are covering the nine freedoms at the moment. Um, and, in fact, we did the fifth freedom in the last program. In the next one, it will be the sixth freedom. Um, with Chrissie away, we'll, we thought we'd do something different and very timely it is, too, to be doing what you and I are doing today. But where you can see um, his teaching in his own right, and I think possibly as clear or if not clearer than anywhere, is in his lectures on the Nine Freedoms, which are available on uh, audio CD album um, and will be available by download, I'm sure, as well. And because in these, you, you, you can see his cosmic or his masterly status in his own right as a teacher. You can see that the Nine Freedoms were a source of elation to him. And by the way, not all the cosmic transmissions that he received were a source of great elation to him some of them uh, were while he implicitly accepted them uh, really problematic for him and caused tremendous pressure for him but in the case of the nine freedoms he loved he he loved this it was uh, enlightening to him it was re- revelation to him he learned things that he didn't know before he received those transmissions and when he comments upon them you can see that but you can also see his own wisdom quite separately from the transmissions coming to bear upon it. You see the same thing with the Twelve Blessings, which we covered last year on Aetherius Radio Live, perhaps even more markedly, because his approach, I would say, is more different, actually, from the Master Jesus than it is from Mars Sector 6, who gave the Nine Freedoms. So that's, that's one way you can see his, his his masterly, I would say cosmic masterly stature also as the years went on he started to not just receive instructions from cosmic masters and carry them out but to offer suggestions increasingly and plans and designs and even missions which were accepted and which we some of which we still perform today when when you're talking about him appreciating the the wisdom of the nine freedoms um, obviously we know that his favorite uh, form of yoga uh, was karma yoga, the yoga of service, which of course he demonstrated throughout his life and which he taught to others. But other than karma yoga, what would you say, in your opinion, I know this is a difficult question, but in your opinion, was his biggest interest... Uh, for his own personal enlightenment, so to speak i don 't know mm. it's kind of a contradiction of itself, but what really interested him in terms of of the nine freedoms what, what was it that really um, you know, caught his imagination well, there was first of all, I think it 's very interesting what you say, and you 're absolutely right that he rated karma yoga above all the other yogas by a country mile he placed this absolutely the top as did the cosmic masters who spoke through him and that's what he practiced from 1954 onwards right through to uh, his passing in 1997 but he's also made it absolutely clear that at that period of his life in the 50s it was not his favorite yoga it was not his yoga of personal preference or choice he loved raja yoga which is the yoga of meditation which he perfected actually he took it to all the way as we discussed last month with cosmic consciousness is as high as you can get in raja yoga uh, higher than some teachers of raja yoga even reveal or discuss or understand i would even say Um, and then he also loved nani yoga and he said to me many times and to others if i'm one thing i'm a logician so he always wanted to apply logic to understanding so one just to give one example you ask about the nine freedoms of something that he absolutely loved and he really i think his phrase was he could really get his teeth into was the revelation that mars sector six made that at its zenith Uh, talking about cosmic consciousness in this case, what? Continuance, nay, detachment. That was a departure from centuries of tradition which really interested him and really, um, he couldn't really see why some teachers, and he might even name some of them, but I, I won't name them, hadn't hit upon this concept of leaving an advanced state to come back into limitation in order to serve. And... So it, it was revelations like that and there's a revelation we're going to come on to uh, next month. Uh, not next month, sorry, the month after in, in um, the seventh freedom. It will be July, I think, by the time we do that one. Uh, which is absolutely pivotal where where the whole sort of meaning of life was, is transformed through the nine freedoms. So in other words, uh, we're talking about in, in essence, sacrifice. We
0: Sacrificed are, and I think... a
1: great state for a lesser state in order to be of service. Absolutely. And, and I would say this, because I was thinking earlier on today, because today we're talking about contact with a God from space, and that could be the command, uh, in other words, by the master Etherius being the God from space, absolutely right. But also, it's a contact with a god from space, the god from space being Dr. George King. And I was thinking, what marks him out, really? I mean, is it it his powers? Is it his presence? Is it his mind? And I would say there are many things that mark him out, but there's something even greater than those, and and it's uh, a long word. I'm sure there's a better one than this, but unconditionality. He had no limits this is something that human beings really don't seem to have on our world it's an alien thing to be that unconditional that totally committed i mean even people who give their lives to various forms of service be it uh, you know military service or charitable service they uh, as they say here they get a life you know they have things going on they have their limits they'll go so far Uh, I should say we it all it's all relative we'll go so far and no further but he didn't have that kind of limit it struck me at all he was only here for one reason that was to serve and he was completely unconditional about it and unconditional about his service and response to the cosmic masters and when you say one one reason that being to serve Mm. Uh, could you um, elaborate perhaps a bit o- on exactly how he was of service? Yes. I mean, he um, was, what he was really doing, and uh, this is an enormous topic, of course, which we'll keep covering through succeeding months, but he was bringing into being a, a plan to virtually save the planet and, and One of the main ways he was doing that was through the outpouring of spiritual energy to the world in cooperation with beings from other planets. Um, So his whole plan, if you like, wasn't just contacts with the gods from space, or his mission, I should say, not his plan, but cooperation with the gods from space. In fact, the last ten years of his life, uh, when his health was not good, he was absolutely, again, unconditional in his efforts to establish for the future a working ar- ar- arrangement that we could follow because there's no, no one has replaced him. It would be delusory of anybody to think that they could replace him in that role as, as, as a mental channel. But he has set up missions which we're still performing to this day, um, which are bringing saving the world by the cooperation with beings from other planets i think that's how i'd summarize it of course one can go into a lot more details but that's a summary of it so sorry again to ask a a difficult question but Mm. if if uh he had not devised these missions and not been the channel for other missions um relating to the manipulation of spiritual energy What state do you think the world might be in today? (laughs) It's a very interesting question. Um, Well, assuming that nothing else had been done instead, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, if if we just had not had George King and not had the Ethereum Society and nothing else had come along to replace it or no other plan had been put in place by the Cosmic Masters, which I assume that it would have been, uh, but let's say it wasn't. I think the world would be in dire catastrophe by now. I think, uh, you know, we, we, we're looking at a scenario that we faced before uh, in, in Lemuria, in Atlantis, in the previous civilizations which were destroyed by nuclear uh, disaster. I think it's that big. I think we'd be in, into into real catastrophe by now. We'd be. Uh, We have a a YouTube clip out, actually, and people can see it on my website. called It's called The Great Change. And that shows, I think, the dangers we're facing now and the things we're doing about it. We're not, I must stress, and he never said the only people doing any good at all are the Aetherius Society. Not at all. There are many other people helping with this spiritual energy problem. Uh, But there's nobody else who has the same program of cooperation with the gods from space. And do you think that, given that we have that, that our future on this planet is guaranteed that things will gradually overall improve and that eventually we will build the the heavenly prophesied new age upon this planet? Well, uh, I think... um you 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 you're a very good interviewer, Mark. I must. Say. <laughs> um, I'm not used to having these very good questions. I've done a lot of interviews over the years, um, but but I must say that um, the new age will come to this earth because the the big thing, and this is something that the Ethereum Society is campaigning on as well this year. It's our, it's our most important campaign actually, and I know that Chrissy will be talking to Brian Kniep about this in, in our June issue of Etherus Radio Live. Uh, the big reason for the New Age, and as far as I know, there isn't another organization that has identified this in so clearly as we have, but, I mean, there are many that talk about the importance of the Earth. The real reason is the initiation of Earth herself. And so the planet herself, as a living being, as the Greeks called her Gaia, is changing and that means the new age will come the question is how will it come and how many of us on earth will be able will be capable of enjoying it and inhabiting it and inhabiting the world which will be on a much higher as you say a heavenly uh vibration um that of course is up to us that's what we are in the Ethereum society and indeed i must say again certain others as well are working extremely hard to prepare for And, and just how advanced do you think we'll have to be to to withstand those vibrations will we just have to be nicer and kinder or will we have to be great masters do you think well, somewhere in the middle of that, I think. I, I, I don't know that we'll have to... I've never heard it said that we'll have to be great masters to, to do it, but I think we'll have to be well on the, road to, uh, on the road to adeptship, to advancement. I don't think it'll be enough to be uh, just like a jolly nice person. I think we're going to have to be active spiritual workers of one kind or another. And, and what will happen to those people who don't attain that level? Well, we've been told, uh, and this is uh, something referred to in many, many traditions, the sorting of the wheat from the chaff and so on, uh, that there will be a sorting. But my belief is that it's it's a compassionate sorting in that uh, those who aren't able to sustain this, having been given every choice through the lives, and we don't quite know exactly the date of this, um, those people will be able to continue their existence on another planet uh, in order to gain experience, which brings us back, really, to why the cosmic masters, the gods from space, have to work this way. It's because they don't want to rob us of the greatest thing we have, which is experience. And that's why they don't just land openly, prove themselves to everybody, and take over the planet, because we would then be denied this wonderful thing that we're really here for, which is to master and gain experience. So do you think perhaps that those people uh, on this planet who do make it into the new age uh, might be born uh, as avatars onto the other planet where those who don't make it are, are born onto in order to help and teach them in you know, thousands if not millions of years' time? Well, certainly, like to think so, and uh, I think you know whether we're fortunate enough, and we work hard enough, and change sufficiently to inherit the new age here. I certainly don't think, in my humble opinion, we can sort of wash our hands of the those who go to another planet from the human race because they don't make it. I think we're all integrally linked, and we. I think what I gather is, anyway, that at that point, um, service takes us wherever were most valuably needed, and that could well be a calling for some. Absolutely, a very inspiring thought. Uh, so we're drawing to a close now. I'd just like to ask Richard briefly if you have any anything further that you'd like to share with us about your experience of um, knowing and working with a cosmic avatar. Yes, I just think that um, it was. You know, while, while I was doing the book, it didn't occur to me But really, it was an experience which I could call my contact with the gods from space. I'm not the only one. Others, too. Uh, His dear wife, of course, notably, who was also one of his key disciples, and several others who were fortunate enough to have this close relationship with virtually a great being in our midst who had agreed to be born through the womb of his mother. And I'd perhaps like to end, Mark, with the words that, uh, if I can find them, that his grandmother spoke uh, when he was born. to, to, to uh, And these are the words she spoke to his mother. Here they are. She said this on the day of his birth, January twenty-third, 1919. She said, my God, Mary, this child is not of this earth. And I think she was right. Absolutely. Well, what a wonderful way to end uh, with that uh, story of that wonderful beginning. And thank you to listeners of Aetherius Radio Live, and thank you, Courtney, once again for hosting us. And thank you, Richard. Thank you, Mark.
0: Thank you both. You have been listening to Aetherius Radio Live. Aetherius Radio Live is your third Tuesday of each month at 1 p.m. Eastern time. You can connect with the Aetherius Society at aetherius.org, or if you would like to connect to Richard Lawrence, please visit his website at richardlawrence.co.uk. Um, Definitely check out his upcoming events um, based on his book launch, Contacts with the Guys from Space. um, And everybody have a great day. Thank you.